Hi, this is Jeff Hamilton, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. That's where something really impressive started to happen, which is the Avalanche Center started to be pay attention to how deep I could get into the mountains, how fast I could go to different places and accomplish observations. tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your guest host, Kelly McNeil. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by MND Safety, a global leader in avalanche hazard management, and our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing, drink beer outside, with additional support from InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. We have an exciting episode for you all today with Jeff Hamilton. Jeff works with avalanche professionals from around the world and across multiple disciplines. As the Airy Motorized Program Manager, Jeff spends his time building avalanche education tools and training new generations of avalanche professionals. Most of the winter, you can find Jeff out riding sleds with his friends and teaching snowmobile-based avalanche courses. Jeff and I talk about his venture into motorized avalanche education, the process Aerie has embarked on over the past few years to develop and deliver a motorized-specific curriculum, cultural shifts, and many more exciting topics. Let's get started and hear what Jeff has to say. Well, good afternoon, Jeff, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Avalanche Hour podcast today. I was hoping that you could start our conversation with your background and your kind of your history, your education, and your experiences that have led you to where you are today. Uh, thanks, Kelly. Um, yeah, excited to talk with you guys today. Um, I'm, uh, I'm at home in Maple Falls, Washington, which is uh, kind of on the northwest side of Mount Baker. Um, in between the mountain and the town of Bellingham. So it's kind of a, a hop, skip, and a jump from where I grew up in uh, Wenatchee, Washington, uh, central Washington. Um, I grew up skiing first and snowboarding second at uh, Mission Ridge Ski Area. Um, it was kind of the, I don't know, the spot I got to, got to know the mountains the most as a kid. So um, that was kind of where I started. When I graduated, I took a couple of years to get lost in Seattle. I kind of, I finally got my act together and um, graduated school from, uh, graduated W Western Washington University with a degree in outdoor rec. So sort of was interested and focused on the idea of outdoor recreation, um, like anybody who at that age would be, but uh, I found a path, something I was interested in, and that was pretty exciting to me. I moved to Glacier in 1999, um, or 98, really, the 98-99, right for graduating. So that was the winter that the ski area broke the record for snowfall in North America. It was a fortuitous season to be playing ski bum. Um, I kind of sunk my sunk my heels in there, sunk my toes in, got, got stuck in the moss, you would say. And um, I don't know, I've... I started volunteering with a new avalanche education program that formed up there at Baker called the Mountain Education Center in 2000. And I was started trading time for a ski pass. And uh, I got involved in fulfilling 
my work or uh, fulfilling some interests in outdoor education, outdoor rec. And I got my degree in and I was playing a lot. And uh, it was, again, I was just having a really good time with it uh, to the point that I joined the ski patrol in 2005. That was um, the, the pro patrol there at Mount Baker. They invited me onto the team. Um, I got a lot of experience with avalanche control work during those couple of years. I did work there for 10 years uh, on that team. So 2005 to 2015, I was a active snow control team member. Learned a lot about operations and just kind of how systems and teams work in the mountains to, to accomplish big goals, like keeping the ski area open under big snowfall events that go on for weeks at a time. So yeah, it was a really cool experience. Um, during that time, I sort of chased down some other educational goals. In 2013, I became an area instructor. In 2016, I fulfilled the goal of becoming a course leader. And so that gave me some other opportunities to start working in the industry outside of just what I was doing at Mount Baker. I got to start to expand who I was working for and what I was doing, kind of the experiences I was getting. Um, I also got hired in 2014 as the professional observer for the Northwest Avalanche Center. Um, we were uh, experimenting with and expanding the idea of putting field staff um, closer to the mountains and getting more observations. This has kind of become a trend, I think, in avalanche centers across the country for the last five or 10 years. It's uh, not new by any stretch, but NWAC was stepping into that role. Scott Shell was instrumental in sort of designing and implementing a program where we could get a lot more, I don't know, just eyes on the terrain. We weren't just forecasting from data anymore. So it was uh, ground truthing and it was useful. It was helpful. It also was really good for outreach, which again, went back to my role as an educator. Um, you know, I took some time to get a little suspension upgrade in 2017. And when I came back, the, the observer job had been taken and it still hasn't been relinquished. So I have found work, um, found a, a lot of rewarding work um, as an avalanche instructor, um, to re, you know, just kind of developing my my skill set and, uh, and working in that realm. In 2018, I joined the Airy trainer team, um, Travis Feist and Duncan Lee, who were both involved in Airy at the time, both still are, um, invited me to join the sort of some some training stuff that they were doing. And I started to uh, build relationships with the area professional trainer team and, and started working on the pro training courses and the instructor training courses. It was a opportunity to, to do something that was new, which was work on snowmobiles in um, this whole realm. I, I you know, I kind of grew up on skis. I grew up snowboarding, but but I took this little sidecar voyage on snowmobiles right around 2006. I borrowed my my roommate's snowmobile and I went on a uh, about a 60 kilometer tour um, up in BC, and I, I kind of came out came away with that with an eyes wide open sort of experience. I really I really was interested in snowmobiling from that point on. So so those things all coalesced a little bit ago. Um, this season, actually, when Ari created a motorized program manager position and hired me in that role. So that's kind of the 
the short story of how I got to where I'm at, um, what I'm doing, which is working with a bunch of uh, avalanche instructors to to sort of move the needle on avalanche instruction. And right now we're focused on, a, you know, what happens to this, with snowmobiles. And that's, I think, where a cool intersection has, has occurred. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, that background, Jeff. Um, you talked a little bit about your first snowmobile ride, but really, um, how did you get more into snowmobiling before you started becoming part of the Airy instructor trainers? Well, like I said, in 2006, I took that, that uh, that fun trip up into BC, and uh, we were riding up in the, in the areas north of Pemberton. So I can't even describe the mountains, but they were tall. Um, I came home that from that trip, and I worked all summer, and I saved my money. And the next fall, I went and bought my own snowmobile. I it was like I'm gonna have one. I'm gonna make this work. This is something I want to be part of, and. Largely, it was so I could get access to go do backcountry skiing and backcountry snowboarding. But I think that anyone who's been in this role for more than five or 10 years of having a sled at their disposal and starting to ride with more and more people will tell you that there's a certain point where you're content with just a day of snowmobiling, too. So it's like it evolves. Um, so am I just a snowmobiler now or am I just a back? I really have a hard time trying to de- define my, I like to think of it more as I have a bigger quiver to choose from when it comes to the conditions and snowmobile is a big part of that. So yes, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, in 2008, I kind of started sneaking my snowmobile up to the ski area on deep day. Um, because they were having us do snow um, control routes with snowmobiles on these old 570 Bearcats with about a one inch paddle on them. And we were getting stuck a lot. And I was like, we have better tools. Why don't I just, so we started letting this happen. And, you know, by the year's end, I proved the case. The ski area started buying mountain sleds. We solved the problem. We'd evolved. And it was, you know, again, I was just more and more excited to be riding my snowmobile around. And, um, and I found ways to do work on it. So I started with the ski area doing work on that. And then when I was doing um, the observation work for NWAC, I was using my snowmobile to get out and um, see a bunch of terrain that way. And that's where something really impressive started to happen, which is the Avalanche Center started to be pay attention to how deep I could get into the mountains, how fast I could go to different places and accomplish observations. And that's actually evolved to the point now where our Avalanche Center at NWAC has six snowmobiles that are donated by a local um, local dealership, Clem's, Clem's Snowmobile Shop in Enumclaw, um, donates six snowmobiles every year to our team so that we can go out and uh, put forecasters on the ground with more access. So I like to think that it was part of an evolution of how snowmobiles got used professionally, at least in my little microcosm of a world. Um, in 2017, I got to teach my first uh, motorized Airy One course. That was pretty cool. I was working with Tom Curtis at the American Alpine Institute. We were teaching up um, over in Leavenworth in a venue that their snowmobile club had worked together with Warehouser, the lo- local logging um, ownership group. They owned a big piece of land up there that was up on a ridge, and they gave access to the snowmobile club to host avalanche education up there. So it took this big partnership of pulling people and groups and 
and thoughts together, but we were able to to pull this off where the Forest Service and everybody else who offers permits were kind of still in the foot dragging stage. They didn't know what to do with this all yet. So we were able to get ahead of that and, and do something kind of cool. Um, that was that was really fun. So that's kind of how snowmobiling and all those things kind of coalesced into where I'm at with it now. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things with snowmobilers is so great is that not only are they super fun, but they are a very useful tool, tool at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's all in the name of work, right? I mean, you, can you do wheelies at work? I can do wheelies at work. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say that they got a snowmobile so that they could um, have access to the backcountry. And now they, that's their primary quiver uh, selection of the day. <laughs> well, it's, it's a pretty fun experience to be sledding around in the mountains. Um, and as you gain skill and you gain experience, you realize you can go a lot of places and sometimes you do bring the skis. And I think it comes down to which group you're traveling with for the day. And I like having all those options. So Absolutely. it's pretty fun. I totally agree. Um, so Jeff, you mentioned a little bit about working with um, Duncan and Travis um, on that airy process of making the motorized specific curriculum. So could you speak a little bit to, to kind of, where they recognized that there was an, a need and awareness to that, how that development happened, and then how do you, how are you doing outreach and engagement to get people to take those courses? Hmm, good question. Um, it's a good question. I'll answer the easy part of that first, which is you know Travis and Duncan's work initially to um, to develop motorized uh, curriculum for Aerie was um, an effort to take a look at what was, what is a, a noted and um, established curriculum like for avalanche education in the backcountry community and look at it from the perspective of the audience. Like what is the difference? Um, what does it mean to be a student? Yeah. How, does it, how does it feel to be a student and receive this information to be, coached along these guidelines that given this framework and this um this idea of if you use a process you can make decisions that you can trust and um how does that look to the audience i think that was kind of what was unique about what travis and duncan set out to do um and really setting a really effective groundwork that we've been able to pick up and move on from as areas develop things like the area online program. We've been able to revamp the curriculum and the, the student manual with, um, you know, some subtle, but some significant and important changes. Um, it's not just a photo swap or anything like that. It's, it's a lot more than that. I think when you get down to how it reads and how it's, how it's perceived by the student. But I think that at the end of the day, that was the goal, was to take something that we knew works. We knew it could be a well-applied. And when the area curriculum is really a, a streamlined version of a professional, professionally applied process for risk management. We look at how a recreationalist would use that. There's parts of it that really make sense and that are really valuable. And we want to coach students to, um, to be able to access the idea that risk management is a process and it involves the team. And it's not a nuts and bolts, cut and dried answer you get to, but it's the understanding that helps you manage complex situations like 
deciding where you're going to go ride with your friends. Like that's actually a harder decision than we give it credit for sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. What, what about the, um, the outreach and engagement and how has that really involved since the motorized curriculum has, has been developed? I think that has a lot to do with how we've um, started to build a coalition of um, course providers and train more and more instructors. And when the availability of something like an ARI course changes from just a few providers in a few select locations with just a few offerings a year to something that's more of like in what is it? Five states now you can take an airy course on a snowmobile. That you don't have to be a skier, you don't have to be a snowmobile or a snowboarder to go get quality avalanche education. Avalanche education that comes from a proven curriculum that comes from instructors that are trained and have spent the time developing those skills. So I think that's part of it. Is you know the availability of it, um, the sense that it's becoming more and more common. It's becoming more and more established. Um, every year we increase the number of providers and instructors that are working with the program. I think that's, uh, that's as much of it as it was the, the, the work to address the curriculum and adjust, address the audience uh, relationship. What would you say is the most rewarding part of being connected to this development and change for you? I think it's the um, <clears throat> I think it's the people that I'm getting to meet and work with. Um, each course provider, each instructor that I've met over the last three years in this role is um, is I've kind of expanded who I know and who I work with. They're inspiring people. They're uh, people who are connected to their community. They're people who are leaders in their own community, and it's like. You're meeting um, some really inspiring people, and that in turn fuels the fire a little bit back the other direction. So it's a self-fulfilling relationship, uh, or set of relationships, I think, that comes from that. You know, where we end up inspiring each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. What would you say are some of the observations that you have made um, teaching avalanche education between both human-powered and motorized users, and the differences? Well, I think uh, being in a position where I've taught to both, uh, taught a lot of human powered and a fair number of motorized courses, um, you know, I think I'm well up in over 20 motorized specific avalanche courses now over the last couple of years. And uh, the, the difference is largely the way we, uh, the way the student perceives looking at the terrain. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, there's just simply a, a big difference when you have power to go uphill and when you view terrain, um, well, to use a little cliche from life behind bars, like it's, um, it's a little different. And, you know, I, I, I've had a hard time articulating this over the years or the last couple of years. Um, but one thing I'm kind of landing on is this idea that 
that maybe snowmobilers view the terrain a little bit like skateboarders view a, sk a skate park. Um, in that up and down and around the hip and around the corner, all features in play. And when one snowmobiler goes and does a thing on a piece of terrain, it usually inspires another snowmobiler to, uh, to go and try something similar or slightly different or maybe even slightly more radical um, on that same piece of terrain. It's kind of the same way that, that I have seen, you know, people in other sort of freestyle sports use terrain. And that's the, the common theme, I guess. And so how do you talk to groups like that about managing terrain and managing risk? And I think that's an interesting concept. And it's fun when you get people who are really experienced with snowmobiling to start to talk about their experience managing their group. When you get them to kind of see the terrain and think about how they're using it, maybe a little bit differently than they they kind of normally do. They, but I found some some success in sort of identifying how we use terrain, and um, you know, on a regular basis on a snowmobile, and how we want to manage risk in that same bubble. Kind of a fun conversation with experienced snowmobilers. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that's a perfect segue into one question that I am. And I constantly am thinking about is, um, so I'd love to hear your advice is what would you say to a motorized user who has been riding for 20 plus years and to try to encourage them to take an avalanche course and, and how do we take that experience they have and add on to it? Hmm. I think this is a, you know, a common question that we run up against, I've certainly run up against it myself quite a bit. And where I've had a success where, where veteran snowmobilers have had a good time on an avalanche course, I guess is where I'll point to. What's, what's been fun and engaging and reasons that they said that was a good time, I would recommend doing that. I think a lot of it comes down to making it really relatable. Um, not getting lost in a bunch of esoteric uh, snowpack tests or drills about uh, avalanche rescue that go on for uh, you know three quarters of a day or more. It's uh, it's about traveling about around and riding around and finding pieces of train to look at and discussing um, how a group would deal with that in a variety of different avalanche problems. Um, sometimes the problems are present and it's really easy. Those are sometimes the best avalanche courses in a way. And sometimes you're out there on days where it's hard to buy an avalanche problem and you have to kind of become inventive. And that's the challenge for instructors, I think, is to try to relate. But where I've gotten good feedback is the students come away with it saying, that was really relatable. I was able to use what you told me. I could see myself using those instructions with my writing groups. So... The pit, you know, the, the challenge then to how to attract veteran snowmobiles into that is, I think, comes down to a lot about the responsibility they have as older veterans of the sport engaging with younger, newer, um, interested parties in the sport. And I think that's where you can find some common ground and find like a piece of attraction because they're like, yeah, recognize the responsibility, recognize that 
that we do have the experience and we can find a way to communicate that, but we don't know how. And an avalanche course is a really cool place for facilitating that relationship between, you know, experienced mountain travelers and new mountain travelers. I just taught a class this weekend that had um, five students in my group and uh, two of the riders, one of them was a local, knew the area like the back of his hand, had all sorts of stories about things that had gone sideways wherever we were riding. One was um, an incredibly skilled rider who was a uh, naval, um, you know, he was a, a flight officer. So this guy was used to using risk management process on a very high level. And so he could sort of articulate some fun stories and some fun relationships with that. And the other three were these young guys that were just kind of, one guy was just starting out. One guy had been at it for about five years, was on his second sled. And one guy had been at it for 20 years, but hadn't been riding much in the last couple of years because he had some kids recently and was kind of just getting back in the swing of things. And so the dynamic that occurred within that course was phenomenal in terms of how the students were able to share both interest and experience um, and just kind of make it all work for, for a lot of understanding. We also had the benefit of a developing avalanche cycle. So we got to see some natural avalanches that were small still, but uh, still watching from watching things get active out there makes for a great course too. So yeah, really cool dynamic. Yeah, that does sound really neat. Taking a lot of different experiences and putting them together. Yeah. So I kind of point back to the idea that, um, you know, when engaging people who have been riding around for a long time, ask them how, how they can share that experience, how they how they can make the um, the community, you know, what they can give back to the community in terms of benefit with their experience. I think that's a big part of it. And maybe that sense of responsibility will appeal to them. Yeah. I mean, I think with the, the groups that I've ridden with and the community that I'm engaged with, you know, the snowmobile clubs and um, just, yeah, the group dynamics, I think that that would be a really effective strategy. Um, I think over the years, we've seen a big shift in the kind of the cultural shift to start taking avalanche courses um, for the motorized users. I know even just a year ago, we had a really hard time filling courses. Um, and I think that shift has started. Do you have kind of any advice or thoughts on how we can keep that momentum going and that and and really make it so when people buy a sled then the avalanche course is something that comes along with it just like with backcountry skiing you you buy some skins you take a course and i i think that we're headed that way but i don't want to i don't want to miss out on that and i would you have any do you think that we're we're going that way do you think that we can keep going that way and then how well, I think one thing that's been really promising that's developed over the last, um, even the last season, really, um, is some of the partnerships within the snowmobile industry. Um, some of the groups that are getting behind avalanche education. And as sad as this is to kind of be the impetus, I think we saw this in skiing and snowboarding too. It's when some of the the sports representatives, the sports leaders are caught and killed in avalanches. The community responds in a way that that does drive a certain level of interest. And that happened uh, in large part to the snowmobile community in the last two years. And um, 
you know, I think that's that's not lost on a community. And so um, they've responded in a sense with interest, but out of that interest was um, things like the Avalanche Alliance that's gained traction and gained um, gained the ability to impact change, uh, to, to impact uh, changes in behavior, changes in interest, and, uh, and you know, honestly, the, the desire to take Avalanche courses is growing as a result of these efforts. I think it would be fantastic if we got to a point where any new snowmobile that was sold had a had something the, uh, the, the snowmobile industry was responsible for. You know, it didn't come from outside of the snowmobile industry. It came from inside. But they have a lot of resources to reach out to at this point to, to develop those sort of things. You know, I think that area, for example, can be a huge resource for developing that. But I don't know that necessarily we're well positioned to be the author to interject something into that world. I think that's in some ways going to have to be a message that comes from within. But at the same time, we have a lot of the tools and a lot of the messaging it's created already. So um, <clears throat> yeah, it'd be awesome if you bought a sled and uh, you got access to a video series or, um, you know, there was a class that was included in the, in the uh, cost of the court or the, the snowmobile. That would be some fantastic partnerships to work on developing. But I think that takes a lot of coordination between avalanche centers, between education providers, and, and the manufacturing side of things. So that, that's, uh, you know, there's a target right there. That's right. Some more work to be done. <laughs> yeah. So when you, you were talking about avalanche centers, and I was wondering from your experience and your expertise, um, what, if any, can avalanche centers do to be more inclusive to the motorized users in their forecast and their outreach, and um, what do we what do we need to change to be to do a little bit better? Hmm. I think that one of the things that forecast centers have um, you know, been working well towards with you know, this is in conjunction with education providers is the idea of consistency and uh, and and you know useful messaging. So that's improved a lot, I think, over the last couple of years. And we've really moved in a good direction in terms of when you visit different areas or you just you want to look read the Avalanche Center forecast, it's really improved in its usability. So I think efforts that we've put into it over the last couple of years and, and the direction this is going, the direction some of the research that's being done, um, Simon Fraser University uh, students, uh, are pulling together some really collaborative efforts to, to look at how for, um, forecast data is used. And I know you're working on some stuff too with a, with a research project on all this, uh, this idea of how, how different user groups might interpret or view an avalanche forecast. And um, I think those efforts to understand the, the question are going to go a long ways, but um you know, what's been done so far to streamline the, the messaging has really helped. That in partnership with edu education um, education efforts to be consistent, to uh, to be able to teach to what's being developed and what's being presented. I think that those efforts are becoming more aligned and that's helpful. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of my big, biggest thoughts about that. Uh, yeah, I think that um, 
there's a lot to be done, but I think it, it that it's happening, and I think that it, that's pretty encouraging to see the the number of motorized classes that are filling up this year, and the messaging that's changing um, on the forecasts site. So I think I think we've we're we're doing good stuff. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, it makes me think about one other thing too. Um, you know, one of the things that snowmobilers seem to really pay a lot of attention to out there is the quiet politics that are kind of happening on the side around land management and land access. And I think it's really important that the snowmobile community feel like avalanche centers because of their connection with forest service agencies and because of their connection with that they're that they can trust those organizations to, to, to work on behalf of the access that the, the motorized groups um, are, you know, I think constantly battling with, I think the idea that, you know, the encroachment or, uh, you know, exclusion of, of uh, different, uh, yeah, just the loss of, of access that motorized groups continually feel like, we had examples in Washington this year. I know there's examples in Oregon. There's examples in California. There's um, there are definitely groups out there that are, and for reasons I'm not gonna, you know, I, I don't want to discourage good discussion. So people are allowed to have their own opinions about why motorized groups are allowed in various places or not allowed in places. But I think that we've had a lot of the sense that we're losing um, riding areas as snowmobilers is is a pervasive thought. And it's important that avalanche centers, um, it's important to the motorized community that avalanche centers are perceived as a, uh, a resource and at least not an enemy. Uh, I understand they have a tight, uh, you know, a, a fine line to walk there, but their awareness and their understanding of how that impacts riders, I think is, is really important. And it's probably something that avalanche centers can, can do on their side to help motorized communities feel listened to and feel recognized. Yeah, that's that's a great connection, and I think a, a great resource that could be used and should be used. So, Jeff, um, is there anything else with all of your expertise and um, hands-on experiences that you've had? Is there anything else that you would like to share with, with the listeners today? Well, I think I'd like to sort of tell the story a little bit about some of the avalanche course providers that are working with area from the motorized side of things. Um you know, this past year, we kind of, we started the year with four core providers that have been with us from the very beginning. And we've expanded that with four additional ones that are, uh, you know, some of them are often a combination of courses to different audiences, but let's start with those four providers that have been with us from the very beginning. Um, Tyler's Backcountry Awareness, um, run by Brian Lundstead out of Rabbit Ears Pass and various locations. He's, uh, he's one of the first fellows to come on board as a provider, um, want to teach specific uh, area courses specifically for snowmobilers. And you got to understand this guy, you know, he wanted it so bad that he, he went and took his first area course um, on snowshoes and, and ran down the hill to keep up with the skiers. So this is a person who understands what it's like to not be on the inside of the message and uh, to, to want to be, to offer something specific that works. So, you know, he was one of the first, um, Brett Rasmussen, Ride Rasmussen style out there in West Yellowstone. 
um, Matt Entz, the writing skills with Matt Entz down in uh, Wolf Creek, Colorado. Um, those guys were early adopters of the ARI um, platform or ARI curriculum for, you know, and really were instrumental in developing what became the motorized version of the curriculum. Um, and then there's uh, these two fellows in um, Wyoming area, um, Matt uh, Shabam and Will Mook, who are, run the Mountain Riding Lab. And these guys have really um, expanded on the idea of how to, 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 to develop a course providership that hires instructors and can offer courses in multiple locations. And they're often a really fun and exciting program. And I think that's what it comes down to is each one of these providers is doing something that's fun and exciting in really world-class venues, some really fantastic places to go take avalanche courses. So the idea of, you know, traveling and spending a week to, to go take your avalanche course and get some writing in and do all that, making a commitment out of it, I think is a big deal. And I think it's something that is more practical and more plausible than ever. But yeah, on to the other providers that are uh, that I'd like to mention um, that I think have taken the uh, the step to to hire motorized instructors to provide courses for this audience. Um, there's uh, let's see, uh, Payette Powder Guides up in Idaho. There's Irwin um, Guides in Colorado, um, Crested Butte, Colorado area. Uh, the American Alpine Institute and about Baker. That's the group I've been working with up here locally. And uh, of course, Wallawa Avalanche Center, um, which you are a part of. So, um, you know, just the idea that you can start to move around and find quality avalanche education from reliable instructors, teaching a curriculum that's usable, that's applicable, that makes sense for snowmobilers to, to apply to, to ride with every day. Uh, I think that's what's exciting um, about what we're doing right now and and what I hope we can get to continue this year by uh, by adding even more instructors, more course providers, and uh, more course leaders. So it's a, it's a process to become an instructor, but it's exciting to watch people get excited about it, get involved in it, and want to do it. So, Yeah, speaking of that instructor training courses in world-class venues, um, you know, being fortunate enough to take a course from you um, and from having Will and Matt there as well as Duncan um, was a really incredible experience and, and one of the best weeks I've had this entire winter. Um, so I think that the more people we can get involved, the more that they see how great it is. And um, it's, just a, it's just a continuous process to keep it going. So, um, Jeff, would you like to, or would you be willing to share with us, um, a near miss or close call that you have had that you've, um, kind of an aha lessons learned? Well, I was out with some friends a couple weeks ago. Um, we were riding in some pretty deep snow and, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those days where you're having a little too much fun, I think. And uh, there were also some people getting stuck. And so there was kind of the general sense of like, what's the pace? Why aren't we moving forward? Um, so, you know, there was, I think there's that sense that communication was starting to kind of fall off a little bit between the people who had the plan and the people who didn't know what the plan was. And um, we watched one of the guys with the plan uh, get himself caught in a little bit of a pickle and it got really exciting for everybody for about 10 minutes. Um 
nothing bad happened, but I would say that the the idea that it got really exciting for everybody for about 10 minutes is kind of the takeaway from that. You know, the idea that it was a close call was, was recognizing ahead of time that communication was starting to become stressed, um, that our group was kind of entering that, that sort of, I don't know what you call it, the, uh, the twilight zone when you kind of know that we're not all really on the same page here. And, uh, and my takeaway was, is that, that I think I started to recognize as the, uh, something that's been common in most of my close calls over the course of my career. Um, that sense that learning to recognize the twilight zone as much as anything is a cool thing. Um, it's useful. It's applicable. So not to put too much, uh, emphasis on the, on the stuff we can't use specifically, but I think paying attention to our feelings and the way a group is communicating is that, um, I don't know. It's, it's an important attribute of human nature that we need to learn to tap into and use to our advantage. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent take home message. Well, Jeff, um, I think that's all the the questions that I have for you today. I know I learned a lot from you um, and I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for letting me speak to the audience. Uh, This is a, you know, a fantastic opportunity and, uh, I hope that folks who are listening um, can share this message to their friends and their writing partners and, and can make avalanche education something they're really focused on in their coming, you know, this season and their coming seasons. I think it's a great way to not just stay safe in the mountains, but really selfishly find the best snow. Let's be real here. This is how we do it. That's right. You know, safe travels to everyone out there in the mountains this season and uh, I hope you find good snow and, you know, let's continue to work on it as a culture to, to reduce the impact of avalanches on our communities. Um, we're losing far too many of our friends to this, uh, to this phenomenon. And I think that we owe it to ourselves and to our communities to take it seriously, to take avalanche courses and to apply what we've learned once we take the course to be diligent out there. And uh, I think we can successfully play in the mountains. I think we really can, but I think the responsibility is on us to up our game. Well said. Awesome. Thank you again for the opportunity. I wish you all the best and uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds great, Jeff. Thanks so much. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that interview, and thanks so much to Jeff for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks again to M&D Safety, our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing, as well as Inner West Insurance. Thanks also to Tubi Outerwear for your support. If you like writing deep powder and staying dry, this gear's for you. I have really enjoyed my Tubi Terminator helmet this season. It is light and comfortable. Thanks, Tubi. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the extra step to subscribe, rate, and review us, and tell a friend. Music by Kitsa. Thanks also to Mike T for the amazing artwork. 
check him out at www.miket.com. Make sure to tune in to our next episode this Saturday, May 1st, with Michael Ackerman. To ensure you don't miss that episode or any others, please follow us on Instagram at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there.